It is so much fun to be with you again. I just love God's church. Love you people. I know most of you. I know most of you I don't know by name. And, uh, but man, the Lord loves you. And what a thrill to be with the men this past weekend. Guys, just a great time being with you. Tonight, I have the privilege of speaking at your campus church in Claremont. And tonight's message, if you want to come out, is called the Oreo Cookie of the Kingdom. And you do get Oreos, by the way, if you come out too. You really do, so we're going to talk more about that. But uh, just love Glenn. And when I get back, I'm so grateful because Glenn fills in for me when I'm gone. And it looks like he's doing a good job. So I want to thank Glenn so much. Uh, I bought his book. He's never bought my book. I've never written a book, so I guess that's why he never, never bought it, but uh, love it. Hey, and as I always do at Temple City, I feel so compelled to just lead in a time of prayer. I don't know how you come today into the service. Some of you probably got up and said, good morning, Lord, and others got up and said, good Lord, morning. We all come differently, but I just want to pray and ask God's Holy Spirit to speak. As it says in Romans 12, would you just um, offer your body as a living sacrifice? And would you bow with me right now? And let's pray, okay? Father, I love you. I love your church. I love the word of God. There's nothing like it. And I love your people. You've called us here to worship you today. And I don't know how we come, but you do. And Father, I ask that there would be a terrific sense of your Holy Spirit speaking. Because God, I can't teach. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. You're the one who gives the gift of teaching and you can anoint. Would you be pleased to anoint me again and anoint everyone to hear that we would listen with open, receptive, soft hearts to what you would say. And I'll thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. Amen. Well, again, if you want, grab your Bible and your fill-in-the-blank outline. And I want to share a little bit with you about what we've been going through in our church in Kansas City. We're in a series right now on suffering. We're going through the, the letter of First Peter. And I've taken part of this from that message series that we're doing together. And it's about suffering. And you all know this probably better than me. You live long enough, you're going to suffer. And it's not a popular topic to talk about, is it? And I just want to share with you this warning. The following message contains concepts and mental images which may be disturbing. Viewer and listener discretion is advised. Because most people don't sign up to suffer, right? How many of you have ever enjoyed the show on TV, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? How many of you would love to be a millionaire? Yeah. I thought it wouldn't be fun to cast a show called Who Wants to Suffer? I don't think you have many contestants because nobody wants the prize. But we're going to suffer in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Peter's writing to Christians all around the scattered world, just like you and me today, when he writes in 1 Peter 1, 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Next chapter, 1 Peter 2, verse 21, he says, to this you were called 
because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And here's the challenge today. When you suffer, not if you'll suffer, but when you suffer, will you surrender to the authority of Jesus Christ? Because when we suffer, we often don't want to follow him as Lord, especially if there's something we don't like. I think I've shared it with you before when I was here a few years ago, that in Genesis chapter two, verse four, through Genesis chapter three, verse one, the Almighty is introduced to us as Lord God. Genesis two, verse four, it says, here's the account of how the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, Genesis 2, 7. Now the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Later on chapter two, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden. And the Lord God had him work and care for the garden. Said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but enjoy all the other trees. And the Lord God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. So the Lord God had all the animals come before Adam and whatever Adam named them, that was their name. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God put Adam into a deep sleep and took a rib out of the man, closed up the place with flesh, and he made a woman from the man. And the Lord God brought the woman to the man, and Adam said, whoa, man. (laughs) Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman. And both of them were naked and felt no shame. And then you come to Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, the evil one, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. The Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. And Satan comes along and says to Eve, did God really say? What name did he drop? Lord. I saw a recent poll that fewer and fewer Americans are going to church. It's so great to see you here today. But anywhere from 82 to 90% of Americans believe there's a God. And, And Satan has no problem with people believing in God. But what about this thing about Lord? Is he Lord? Because He told us we're going to suffer. It's one of the reasons why I know the Bible is so true. Look at me at John 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world, you will have trouble. You'll suffer. There will be persecution. But take heart. I've overcome the world. John 15, verse 20. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But we have to stop and realize God is the authority. And will we submit to his authority? And will we trust the script? Today's message is called Trust the Script because it works. And God is a script for us and he wants us to trust. Why? Because he's the authority. And I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence, but have you ever taken the time to think about the origin of the word authority? English word that comes from way back from the Latin, but here's what I want you to do. Authority is written there in your outline in bold print. Would you take your pen or your pencil and just for a moment, draw a line under the first six letters of that word. And what do you see? Author. An author is the one who's authority, who writes the script. God is the great author of life. And the work of an author, as you know, is to establish the storyline. And what's that include? The storyline includes three things. A beginning, a middle, and the end. And do you know that God has written a script for you to trust? Psalm 139, the psalmist says this. God, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me 
were written in your what? Book before one of them came to be, Sunday, November 8, 2015. God has written the life of your book that you would be here. You think you got here because of your Toyota or your Ford. No. Yes, you have all the free will you could possibly want. But God is the great author. God's scripting everything out. And every day of your life was written in his book before one of them ever came to be. And the question is, will you trust him as the authority, as the author? Because God is the great author. In Revelation 20, we see John writing in this magnificent book about the end times. He said, I saw the dead. Those are those separated from Jesus Christ, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Here's the good news, ladies and gentlemen. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you ready? The book that has your sin is wiped clean. Isn't that good to know? That we don't have to give an accounting for that, but those that don't know Jesus Christ have to give an accounting because sin always has to be dealt with, either at the cross of Jesus Christ or on into eternity. And God's the great author. I want to show you several verses that talks about the beginning, the middle, and the end. Acts 3, verse 15. I just love this verse. Look at it. He says, you killed, Paul says, the author of what? That's your beginning. God is the author of your life. God is the one that formed you in your mother's womb, determined that you would be here, and he's the beginning. The middle, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. And it says this, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation, that's the middle. God was the author of your life, the beginning when you were born, the author of your salvation when you came to him. And the last verse, Hebrews 12, verse two. I just love this one. Hebrews 12, two, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. He's the author of life, the beginning, the author of your salvation, the middle, and the author and perfecter of your faith, where he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He's got a script, and the author wrote in both the Old and in the New Testament not to mess with the script. Not to mess with the script. Look at me at Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. In Deuteronomy 4, 2, God says, Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I give you. Proverbs 30, verse 6 is just ingenious. In Proverbs 36, he says, Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. And then Revelation 22, verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plague described in this book. He says, don't mess with the script. Why? He's not only the authority. He's not only Lord. He's the author and he's got a great script. We have friends back in Kansas City, my wife and I. Her name is Leanne. Leanne's an author. She likes to write murder mystery novels. Leanne's husband is a big guy. 6'4", he's my urban brother. And we played basketball together for years back in Kansas City. Hey, speaking about Kansas City, how about them Royals? Sorry, had to throw that in there. But um, love those boys in blue. But at any rate, Leanne writes these books and she came to me one day and said, hey, Pastor Jim, I want you to know, in my new murder mystery, um, I have my husband as one of the main characters. I go, did he kill someone? 
She says, well, no, no, no. But in the storyline, I have it that this guy plays basketball with his pastor. That's you. I go, is he going to kill me? She said, no, but the storyline is really fun. And I said, well, listen, Leanne, let me tell you about the pastor because I know how he and John react. And she said, no, 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 I got, I got it all written. That's a great storyline. I go, no, no, no. I got a much better idea of how your script could go. You ought to do this and that. She goes, no, 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 that doesn't fit in my script. Wait until you read it. It's really great. Isn't it crazy that we as the characters in God's great stage sometimes feel like we need to tell him what to do? Because maybe he's not quite as brilliant as we think he should be. But friends, the Bible says that we are to trust his script. That we trust the word of God. You may say, well, man, I wish God would speak to me. I wish God would come along and just open up his mouth. I wish I could see God open his mouth and speak to me. You want to see it? Here it goes, right? There it is. The very words of God. You may say, I wish I could do a lobotomy in the mind of God. I wish I could open up his skull and see what he's thinking. There it is. The very words of God. Because look what Psalm 12, verse 6 says. Psalm 12, verse 6. And the words of the Lord, it says, say it out loud, church. The words of the Lord are what? Flawless. Like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. Psalm 18 says this. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He's a shield to all who take refuge in him. I love Proverbs 30, verse 5. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is, say it, church, flawless. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. And do you realize that God has a written story for you to participate in? And you may say, oh, no, I just messed up too much. Let me take you back to the time when I was in college. Jay and I, separate years, attended a great school back east, Judson College, now Judson University. And I knew I was going to go into ministry, but when I was in college, I wanted to explore some other areas. And Judson had just gotten a brand new theater director, a professor of theater, Dave Larson. And I just loved Dave. He was so magnificent the way he could direct. And I decided one year to make my major theater and Dave uh, helped me in directing. He also had me do some acting. And he put me in a show called A Midsummer Night's Dream. Shakespeare. Anybody hear that? Some of you are laughing. You know, it's one of his great comedies. And um, uh, it, it really, the story, if you don't know it, the storyline is of a, a mortal king and queen who are going to have their daughter get married. And they want to throw a big celebration. Well, the mortal king and queen get into a fight before the wedding and it messes everything up. In the spirit world, there's a spirit king and queen who are at war battling each other. In the mortal world, the king and queen want to have a great wedding celebration in the midst of the whole story. And they want to have a lot of fun at the wedding. We'd call it the reception. So they, they want to put on a, a, a play within the play. And Shakespeare really was spoofing himself because the play in the play that I got to perform was a, a mockumentary, so to speak, on Romeo and Juliet. And Shakespeare makes fun of it. So uh, this king and queen hire five guys. They don't want it to be a regular play. They want it to be comedic relief. So they hire five buffoons. These guys are idiots. And they hire them to play, uh, to perform the play so they can have great laughter and entertainment. Well, Dave Larson, my professor, uh, gave me the role of bottom the weaver. How many of you believe in typecasting? You guys all believe that? 
And forgive my language, but the quote Shakespeare bottom by the spirit world gets in the play in act three when the five of us are rehearsing for the wedding. Uh, I get turned into a donkey. An ass to quote Shakespeare. And it was typecasting. Jay's and my dad was so great. Dad used to say to me so often, Jim, you'll never be a total failure. You can always serve as a bad example. <laughs> Man, in my life did that come true over and over. And here's the key one. So one night we're doing Shakespeare and we're doing A Midsummer Night's Dream. I'm Bottom the Weaver and we're in act three. And myself, my four other buffoon acting buddies are out trying to rehearse this mock Romeo and Juliet. And it was a tough day for me. Some things had happened to me that day I didn't like. And I was kind of rebelling. Dave Larson, my drama professor, had told me to run my lines before the show. I didn't do it. And I was distracted. And in act three, I had a one-page soliloquy. A lot of you know that a soliloquy is a very long monologue by one actor or actress. One full page of Shakespeare in Act 3. In Act 5, I had another one-page soliloquy. Long section. So in Act 3, we're out there rehearsing, and I, I get done with my lines. I go all the way through my long soliloquy of Act 3, and I come up with a great pose like this, and I freeze, ending my lines, so proud of how I had done chest out. And nobody says anything. And I thought, someone dropped their line. They forgot their line. I'm not kidding. For about 45 seconds, nobody on stage said anything. Ted, you know how long 45 seconds is on stage when nobody's saying anything? And you can feel it start to go through the audience. I'm not kidding. Packed house. And it starts in the front row. And people start murmuring. Oh, somebody forgot their line. Oh. And, it goes, and I look over and my prof, who I just love, Dave Larson, gets up and walks out of the theater. After about 45 minutes, I look at my buddies. They're like deer in the headlight. And so I look at my buddy to my right and I said, well, what about the play? And that poor guy, he bumbles and stumbles as he stands up. We had scripts at the end he was supposed to hand out. He hands out the scripts now and says, well, practice your parts. We'll meet back here later. And we fled stage left off stage. We got off stage. I'm panting and panicking. And I turn and look at my four buddies and I go, someone forgot their line. Where were you? And the four of them look at me and go, where were you? They said, those were your lines from Act 5. I thought, oh no. And here down that back hallway, coming towards us, comes my prof that I just love, Dave Larson. And he looks at me and he goes, where were you? And all of a sudden it dawned on me, halfway through my soliloquy of Act 3, I cut and pasted the second half of the soliloquy in Act 5. And I'm like this, and my actors are going, the show's over? What's... And I said, oh, no, Dave, I've blown the script and I've humiliated you. What am I going to do? He said, you're going to go back out there and you're going to say those lines. I said, I can't say them again. Everyone's going to know that I'm, no. <laughs> Friends, let me take you there in that back hallway. Never forget it. That blessed man grabbed a screw up like me by the shoulders. He looked me in the eye and he said these words. I've never forgotten it. This is 30 years ago. He looked at me and he goes, trust the script. It works. He said, Shakespeare's brilliant. Trust the script, it works. Sat out backstage through act four, act five. We have to go on to do the play. My knees are shaking. I'm almost nauseous. I walk out there and I do my act five soliloquy, repeating all the lines at the end. The audience is like, oh, 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 oh
and I'm going, oh, oh, you know, oh my gosh. But then we go on with the rest of the play. We do the play. Shakespeare is so well written that even if you screw it up, by the time that we're at the end, we got done with our mock Romeo and Juliet, the audience is rolling in the aisles, falling out of their chairs, laughing. The curtain closes at the end. We open it for bows. They're on their feet applauding. I'll never forget looking over stage right at my directors back in the audience. He looks at me and he goes, you know what, gang? If we think Shakespeare is pretty good, we know an author, the author and the finisher of our faith. And he's written this script, gang. There's nothing like this. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light unto our path. It's a guy that speaks to us in the stillness of the night and early in the morning in pain and suffering. And guess what? If you've screwed up, you got so way off script and you feel like, oh, I've blown the script and I've embarrassed the author and the director of my life. You know, God is not at... Home in his throne going, uh-oh. They script up. They screwed up the script. Now I don't know what to do. Is that what God's doing on his throne? No. He knows. But he's calling people today who have wandered from the script saying, look, come back. Trust the script. Trust me. It works. And like I said, do you realize that God has a written story for you to participate in? No matter how far you've wandered from the script, he knows that. He's calling you back. Look what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 verse 10. He says, for we are God's workmanship. I want to take a moment just to talk about that word workmanship in a moment. But we're created in Christ Jesus, watch this, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. One translation says that God wrote these so that we would walk in them. The word workmanship is such a brilliant word because it's the Greek word poema. What's the first four letters of that word? Poem. What's a poem? It's a love letter from one to the other. And you are, hey, look at the person next to you. Look at them right now and say, hey, you're a piece of work. Yeah. Yeah. We all know that, don't we? We are. We're a piece of work in God's kingdom. And we are the poem that he's writing. And part of that poem is the whole salvation story of rescuing people from getting so far off script. But God calls them back. And God has a great plan and a great work in your life. You say, can I be sure God has a plan for me? Ah, my favorite verse out of Acts, Acts 17, verse 26. says this, from one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God still has you where he wants you, even though we wander off. God is the great hound of heaven that's calling people back, saying, trust the script that works. Come back to me. Come back to my word. Listen to my love for you. Don't rebel against me. Should we respond like this? Isaiah, what a magnificent book. In Isaiah 29, Isaiah is speaking for the Lord of how the people are responding towards God. Isaiah wrote, woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us, who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, you didn't make me, or can the pot say of the potter, he knows nothing. Oh, and I love the other verses. Look with me, if you will, at Isaiah 45. Starting at verse nine, woe to him who quarrels with his maker, to him who's but a potsherd among the potsherds in the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say he has no hands 
Verse 11, this is what the Lord says. The Holy One of Israel, its maker concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My hands, and I even flung the stars out into the universe. Gang, if God flung the stars out in the universe, do you think he can take care of you? Look at me at Jeremiah chapter 18, verse six. I love these verses. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O Israel. But friends, shouldn't we rather respond to God? Psalm 101, verse two. Can we say, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. Or how about Isaiah 64, verse eight? Isaiah says, yet you, Lord, are our father. We're the clay, you're the potter. We are all the work of your hand. God is saying, trust the script. It works. You may say, I've gotten so off track. God is calling you back today in his mercy and grace, friends. He's so brilliant. He's so ingenious. And at our church, we've been introducing a new acrostic, R-O-C-S, rocks. And if you want to come back to Jesus Christ, he wants you to radically obey and courageously submit. He's looking for people today that will say, I'm going to trust God's script. I'm going to trust what God says in his word and I'm going to follow it. As Job said, though he slay me, yet I will still trust him. And I wonder today, would you radically obey and courageously submit? Wow, I I love the story when Jesus is going to perform his first miracle. Remember this? And he goes to a wedding. These weddings would go up to a week in length. And Mary, his mother, comes to him and says, son, they have no more wine. That's how we know it wasn't a Baptist wedding, right? And so (laughs) Jesus does something very interesting because up to that point, as a righteous Jewish son, he honored his father and mother and he always responded to and obeyed her. But now it's the first time he doesn't call her mother. He says, woman. He wants to see if she will even learn to radically obey and courageously submit. He says, woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And I can just picture it happen that when he turns and looks into her eyes and she looks into his, she goes, that's right, he's Lord. I think she just kind of stepped up and she turns and looks at the servants. The servants weren't his disciples, but she just turns to them. They were the ones hired by the family putting on the wedding and she turns and she says these amazing five words in the NIV, John chapter two, verse five, do whatever he tells you. Some of the great words in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you trust the script that works? Because friends, this is why the Bible is called scripture. It's the written word in the mind of God. And do we want to know his ways? Remember in Isaiah, he said, my ways are not your ways, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. One last thing, and then I want to lead you in a time of prayer. I love Psalm 103. Many of you probably know it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And I love verse seven. Verse seven this year has just gripped my life. Psalm 103 verse seven says this. He made known his ways to Moses, but his deeds to the people of Israel. See the difference there? God made 
known his ways to Moses, but the people just got to see his deeds. You know, people every day get to see the acts and the deeds of God. Bible says God brings the sun and the rain on the righteous and the unjust. Every day he cares for us. But Moses got to know his ways. That's different from just seeing what God does. And I think so often in the church, we want to see God do something for us. God, give us a miracle. God, get us out of this suffering. God, change my circumstances. Instead of us being like Moses, wanting to know his ways. And his ways in Hebrew means what he's like, his nature, how he thinks, what he does, what he does, why he does what he does. And instead of us just saying, God, do something for me, we say, no, Lord, Show me, as it says in Psalm 24, show me your way that I may walk with you. You know, dear son and daughter, man and woman, boy and girl, God loves you and and wants to have you walk with him. Are you satisfied with just seeing his deeds or do you want to know his ways? What do you need to do? Well, here's what I'd like to do. I want to ask you today, to trust the script because it works. And may I lead you in a time of prayer. And as you bow your head, first I want to pray for you, but then in the middle of our prayer time, I just want to ask some leading questions. Then maybe God could speak to you about you returning back to him, trusting the script, following what he instructs you to do. So right where you are, whether you're watching on a screen or you're here in the room, would you just bow your head with me right now? Let's ask God what he'd want us to do. Father, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for believers all around the world, many of whom are suffering. And I know there's folks in this room suffering right now, going through very difficult times. And Lord, often we're, turned, we're, we're, we're tempted to turn to our own ways, but you're calling us to trust your scripture because it works. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just speak as only you can. And friend, as we remain in an attitude of prayer, just listen to these questions before God. Do you need to finally decide to make Jesus your Lord? Maybe you've known and acknowledged for years that there's a God, but have you made Jesus Lord of your life? You say, how do I do that? You simply can say, Father, say something like this. I know I've strayed far from your script. But you died on the cross to pay for my mess. And I'm going to believe that you're Lord. And I want you to come into my life. Teach me to trust your word. Do you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from your sin? If you've done that, Do you need to follow him in baptism to declare that public declaration that you've died to your own will and you're going to be raised with Christ to live for him? Has your reading of the word each day gone by the wayside? Are you not reading his script? Do you need to tell him that you need to recommit to take some time each day and open up the ingenious word of God and Ask him to speak to you. Do you need maybe to spend more time with him in prayer each day? Not just when you're flying down the interstate or busy at work or school. Do you need to set aside time and just say, speak, Lord, I'll listen. 
Do you need to join this church and get involved and serve? Has God been tugging at your heart to get involved and join? How about your finances? You've not been trusting the script and you're holding back on giving a first portion of your income to God? Faithfully trusting him with your finances? You need to say to him, Father, I'm going to trust your script. The Bible says I've lived many a day, never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Give to him, friends. Is there someone who has severely wounded you? A spouse, a child, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor? And you're holding back on forgiving them? You dig your feet in and say, I'm not going to trust the script. I'm not going to forgive. God is saying, trust the script. It works. Do you need to step out on faith and do what he's telling you to do? Is there a habit or an addiction you need to give up and seek help? Come out of the darkness and say, I don't need to run alone anymore through this mess. I need somebody who is gracious and caring that will love me and step me through it. Come out of that darkness. Trust the script, it works. There's someone around you that doesn't know Jesus Christ. God is sending you to them and you just simply need to go and pray for them and teach them that you're learning to trust God's script. What's he saying to you? Father, thank you that I don't know the needs in this room, but you do. And you will supply all of our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God, I ask that your church would trust the script, that magnificent eternal word of God, because heaven and earth will pass away, but your script will remain forever. Father, help us to be obedient and to trust your script. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. If you're able, would you stand with us as we get ready to close? And I was asked to mention that over here to your right, there's a prayer room. If you would like someone to pray with you and meet with you, God has spoken to you, please go. There's folks there that will care genuinely. and They got time to pray with you. And I just want to close it this way as I do in Temple City each week with a benediction and a blessing. And church, thank you so much for your attentiveness. It's just been wonderful to be with you today. And all the glory to God. And as you trust the script, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And as you trust the script, may the Lord cause his face, that gorgeous face that we're going to see someday, may he cause his face to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you. And as you trust the script and he lifts up his countenance, may the Lord give you his peace. God bless you. Have a great week.